Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, team, we are in week two of this series, Running on Full. Here's the idea behind the book of Colossians. Like, I don't, I don't want you to run life on empty, uh, just constantly pouring out, giving, chasing things in life that don't matter, that are just gonna suck the life out of you. In the book of Colossians, we read about this word of fullness. Like, that there is a full life, fullness of life in Christ that, that you and I can have. So I'm excited about that. I wanna talk about something uh, really really divisive this morning. Uh, in, in fact, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have some people picking teams um, today. Speaking of teams, uh, Super Bowl, let's just really quick, doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Bengals, fans up, hands pink, Bengals. Okay, all right, that's a bold pick. Rams, Okay, all right, so hot wings during halftime? Yes, that's it. This, all that matters is the food. Uh, we can divide uh, each other, divide into different teams um, throughout. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some things that uh, honestly have divided our culture over the past uh, few, few months, uh, over this past season. Um, we've been divided in our country and, and all around the world over some different things. It, uh, obviously, first one, vaccines, right? Vaccines are a dividing point. I did some research in North Carolina and about 56% of people have gotten a vaccine in North Carolina. So it's kind of like right down the middle of what people believe about that and, and, and how those things, those beliefs pan out. Uh, man, you want to have a, a, a fun talk, like just mention your opinion on vaccines, like in the grocery store or, or on your Facebook. That'd be a dumpster fire there. And so it's, it's kind of a divisive issue. Masks are the same way, you know, like what kind of mask, how long, who wears a mask, whatever. Do they, do they work? Do they not work? Uh, politics is, is a great divider in, in our country today. Um, I can remember back in 2016, we had the, uh, the national anthem talk, right? Like, do you kneel during the national anthem? Are you supposed to sing, hand over your heart? Like, what is the acceptable notion for, uh, for, for that? And, but, I, but I think in, in my lifetime, the greatest divider, the, the thing that, that, that would maybe the most divisive issue that I've ever experienced actually happened in the year 2015. This issue divided families, it divided marriages, it came between the very closest of friends. And I want to show you the picture of what I'm talking about. Do you remember this? Yeah. You talk about an ugly time on the internet when we were divided on what color is this dress. Now, I'm going to force your hand on it right now. We're going we're gonna to say, let me, let me just give you some stats. If you Google the dress, this is what's going to pop up. Like, you know it's popular. When it doesn't need a name, it's just the dress. You Google that, look it up on Wikipedia. This image is going to come out. 24 hours after this image was posted on social media, four and a half million people had responded to the image, arguing over what color is this dress. Is this dress white and gold, or is this dress black and blue? And we're going to divide the room on it today. I'm going to make you, I'm going to force your hand. We're going to say, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. Divide it in the room and all. Uh, in, in, at the peak of this picture hitting the internet, 
It had 14,000 views per second online. That's 840,000 views every minute. At one point, uh, the hashtag, the dress, had 11,000 posts every minute. So let's settle it. We're going to say it right now. Don't be afraid of who you are and what you believe. Stand firm in it. Show some conviction. On the count of three, we're going to say it. Just blare it out, out loud. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you, what color is this dress that you are looking for? Are you ready? Everybody participate. Don't be too cool for school. All right? One, two, three. White and gold. gold. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. If you said black and blue, man, I'm so glad you're here today. I hope you meet Jesus and he opens up your eyes. And you turn towards the truth. Uh, I actually have a picture that's even more divisive than that. You ready for it? Check this out. You're looking at what I believe is the most divisive person that ever walked the face of the earth. This picture is entitled The Head of Christ. A man by the name of Warner Salman painted it in 1940. It is actually the most uh, popular image of Jesus ever produced. Uh, from 1940 to the year 2000, this picture was reproduced, uh, repurposed, repainted uh, over a half of a billion times. Chances are, if someone on earth has ever seen a picture of Jesus, this is the picture that they have seen. This is an extremely popular picture, and I can see why. Have you ever noticed Jesus' hair in this picture? Incredible. I mean, this guy... Good grief, man. If Jesus were alive today and he had an Instagram account, every one of his posts could be sponsored by some company that sold shampoo and conditioner. (laughs) And he could be like, man, uh, he's posting this picture right here. Out here doing ministry, volume is still high. Love my new at Suave hair care products, hashtag ad. Like that for sure. This is the most well-known and controversial picture of Jesus. But I, I I wanna divide the room this morning. And I'm going to divide it a couple of different times. And here's how we're going to do it. Like, I know everybody's like, ah, you shouldn't be talking about division. Well, this is, man, this is super important because today we're going to answer a simple question, maybe the most divisive question that you could possibly ask someone today. Who is Jesus? You want to lose some friends? Take a stand for the answer to that question, who is Jesus? You want to be unpopular in a mixed crowd? Just throw that question out on the table. Just ask people, who is Jesus? If you want to divide the room and lose some people, then then stand in front of a group of people and say, according to the Bible, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through Jesus. Say that in the general public and see what happens. You want, to, you want to talk about people choosing sides. You want to talk about teams, a, a line being drawn in the sand. That might be one of the most divisive questions that you can ask today. A, a, a question that would make a lot of people uncomfortable. And just like that question makes a lot of people uncomfortable today, it was the same question that the church in Colossae was wrestling with, that the whole city was wrestling with, that everyone had an opinion on who is Jesus. Ask that question and you can get a lot of different answers. Ask a Muslim that question and they'll tell you that Jesus is a prophet. He's just like Abraham and, and just like Moses, but, but listen, he's a, a, a less important prophet than Muhammad. Like, good guy, but compared to Muhammad, like, he's nowhere near where he is. That's what they would tell you about Jesus. You talk to a Jehovah's Witness and they will tell you that Jesus is actually uh, Michael, uh, the archangel. And what happened is Michael 
left his angel body, came down to earth to take on human form, and his name is Jesus. And then after he died, he went back up to heaven, and now he's Michael the, the archangel again. And so that's, that's who Jesus is. Talk to a Mormon, ask them who they think Jesus is, and they will tell you that God actually came down to earth and had a sexual relationship with Mary. And that's how Mary got pregnant. And if, if you and I will do the right things and behave and be good people, then we can be sons and daughters of God, just like Jesus was. Ask, ask people, who is Jesus? If you talk to liberal teachers and liberal progressive theologians in the Christian faith, even they'll say that Jesus was a good teacher. Man, you talk about a communicator. This guy could preach the lights out. But God's son, I, okay, I, I get it that, that Jesus is a way to God, but you can't tell me he's the only way. Like, don't tell me that there's only one way to God. That's kind of closed-minded, don't you think? And they're going to argue with you that, yeah, Jesus is cool, but he's just one way of the God to the top of the mountain. Jesus is one path, but all of these other world religions are their right as well, and we can all get to the same place. Can't we just all get along? This morning, I want to divide the room. And I think the more we talk about it, the smaller the circle is going to get. I would imagine when I give you the first point, the majority of the people in the room are going to agree with it. But I think by the time we get to the end of the message, there will only be a handful of people in the room that are like, yep, that's me. So let's look in Colossians about what the Bible says to, the, to that question. Who is Jesus? The church struggled with it. They were asking Paul about it. So Paul decides to, to speak some truth into the middle of it. And in Colossians 1 verse 15, if you're taking notes, all of, this, all of the app and the, the verses will be in the app, all the notes. Here, here's how Paul starts it out. You want to know who, who is Jesus? You want to answer that question? Let's divide the room. Paul says the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Jesus is the image of God. You want to know what God looks like? You hear that sometimes, right? God's invisible. We don't know what he looks like. If you want to talk to God, like he doesn't appear to you. Like what does God look like? Paul says if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That's all you got to look at. And I'm not talking about the long, curly, conditioned hair and the perfectly waxed beard. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the characteristics of Jesus. If you want to know how God acts, how God loves, how God responds, how God would treat people in today's world, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Look at his character. How Jesus treated sinners is how God treats sinners how Jesus responded, how he served, how he loved, how he showed compassion to people. If you want to know what God would look like, all you have to do, Paul says, is look at Jesus. Jesus is the image. He's the visible of the invisible God. He is the image of the creator of the world. Verse 16, he says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and all things are created for him. Paul says something interesting here because essentially he looks at a people that are very worried about the world in which they live, very worried about the culture, very worried about the amount of people that are worshiping other gods and believing other things. And Paul steps in and says, hey, I, I, think, I think you guys are worried about stuff that you don't need to be worried about. 
I know what culture looks like. In Colossae, there were tons of crazy gods that people worshiped, tons of temples. The biggest temple in the city of Colossae was the temple uh, to the goddess Ghee, which is actually Mother Nature. People actually worshiped the earth. They worshiped nature. And so these Christians were looking at it and be like, Paul, you're not going to believe what's going on here, man. People are going wild. Like people are worshiping trees and plants and rocks and water and dirt. And, and it's freaking us out, man. Like we need to, what do we need to do in the midst of this? And Paul hits the Paul button and, Paul's button and says, hey, can I just remind you who created all of that? Can I remind you that the things that other people are worshiping are the things that your God created? He is over all things, created all things. All the little G gods wouldn't even exist if your God hadn't orchestrated it and made it. Calm down. God's still on the throne. God is still in control. He mentions thrones right here. They were worried about who the king was and who was in political power and oh no, what if this happens and what if they get in control? And Paul's like, come on, I got let pause for a second. Can I remind you that it doesn't matter who the king or the chancellor or the president is, God is still in control. He's still on his throne. God gives all authority to any authority on earth. It was all made by him and for him. Chill. I'm not saying don't be engaged in the culture, but at the end of the day, you have to trust that God has it all in his hands. He made all of it. All of it is under his authority. And so Paul, like being like a spiritual dad to these people, is like, guys, we got, let me help you focus. Let me remind you of some things. I know the world is going crazy right now. I'm not saying that just ignore it, but I'm saying at the end of the day, we got to remember who Jesus is. Remember the God that created all of it. He's got this. He's got this. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Now, if you, if you didn't know the book in the city of Colossae, that, that wouldn't make sense. But Paul, Paul's like giving a wink, wink, nod, nod, because he says, here's what happens. Jesus holds all things together. All the things that are falling apart are held together by Jesus. All of the loose ends, all of the pieces. Here's why that's significant for these people because Colossae is famous for their earthquakes. I mean, earthquakes would hit and destruct buildings and tear apart homes and people would die and, and these earthquakes were totally unpredictable. There's no way you could avoid it. It's one of the reasons why so many people worshiped Mother Nature in Colossae because they thought, man, if we get on Mother Nature's good side and, and we worship the earth, then she won't make the earth shake and we won't have these earthquakes. And so like everybody sing to the earth and give to the earth and plant a tree and, and eat a hamburger made of mushrooms and that It'll be fine, like just cater to it. <laughs> and Paul steps in and said, you know, everybody's worried about their world falling apart. Can I remind you who holds all of the world together? It's your God. It's Jesus. Nothing happens that he's not aware of. Nothing is outside of his control. Jesus never wakes up from a nap and says, whoa, what happened? Well, I was out. Paul's trying to Help build that faith in them. He is the one that holds everything together, even when your world is physically falling apart on a daily basis because of, of earthquakes in this city. In verse 18, it says, He is the, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
Paul says, even the church, he's ta- speaking to the church. He says, Jesus, you need to understand, like Jesus is over you. Jesus is your boss. He's the head pastor. He is the lead shepherd. Like everything that the church does, we look at Jesus. He is over it. He's orchestrating it all together. And this is when things start to get a little divisive. Because Paul says, I know the city is saying a lot of things about who is Jesus, but let me clarify for us. Let me clarify what the Bible says when we answer that question. Verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. The fullness of God was in Jesus. Here's the first thing that I want to ask you to, to write down. This may be the widest net that we come in. Maybe we're going to divide it with a few people in here. But I think if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you're probably going to believe this. Uh, take this down. Here's the first thing that, that, that Colossians tells us. Uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This is a tenet of the Christian faith. It's the the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Chances are, if you're a Christian in America, you believe that statement that Jesus is God. So I think probably the majority of people, maybe listening online, probably we're still in the circle. We're still all on the same team here. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the very first chapter, we see this idea that from the very beginning, Jesus was there. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God is getting ready to create man, like make the first man, Adam and and Eve. And here's what God says. God says, let us make, let us make them in our image. Now who's God talking to? Why why are the pronouns plural? Like God hasn't made humanity yet, so it's just him. So even in Genesis 1, we see that Jesus was with God. Let us make him in our image image. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The triune God there from the very first page of the Bible. Go to John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. Now if you're of the Christian faith that's, that's a tenet of ours. Like that's kind of bare minimum of what it means to be a Christian and to, to have the belief that, that Jesus is not just the son of God, but that he is God. So what is God like? If Jesus is God, then what is God like? He's like Jesus. We can look at how Jesus acted, how he spoke, the way he interacted, what he did. All of that points to Jesus being God. That's the first thing that Paul lays out there. But he says, Let's divide the room again. Let's make the the circle even smaller. Here's what Paul continues in verse 20. He says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, Jesus has, God has reconciled you by Jesus's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Let's divide the room again because the Bible says that not only Jesus is God, but number two, Jesus is savior. I want to be crystal clear on something. The Bible does not say that Jesus is a savior. He doesn't say Jesus is one savior. It doesn't say Jesus is the easy way, and there are a lot of other hard ways, but you can choose those hard ways if you want to, like totally up to you. But if I were you, I would choose Jesus because his way is much easier. Nope. 
The Bible is clear that Jesus is the way to God, the only way to God. The room just got smaller. Because if you try to take a stand amongst your friends and family and look at them and say, there is only one way for sinners to be reconciled to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ, you're going to lose a bunch of people. The Bible says you and I were sinners. We were on the opposite team of God. And even in the midst of that, God sends his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. The only bridge between man and God is Jesus. A lot of people believe that Jesus is God. But when you get out there and take take a statement like that and say, Jesus is the only way, try that. (laughs) Try, Try putting that online today. Try speaking that at your office. Try having a conversation with someone that believes very differently than you are and just, just say, hey, the Bible is, is pretty clear. Like, I just want to let you know that Jesus is the only way to God. See how that divides people. I oh, mean, I can't believe you would say that. It's kind of closed-minded. Don't you think a loving God would not send anybody to hell? Don't, don't, don't you think that, that there'd be a lot of different ways? Who are you to say the way that you know is the only way? Like, come on, don't you think that's kind of arrogant a little bit? How do you know it's not all these other world religions too? Like, isn't it a both and? Why does it have to be an either or? Man, that's so narrow-minded. That doesn't sound like a, a loving God to me. And in that moment, like, I, I, don't, I don't really care what, what you think or what I think. What does the Bible say? about who is Jesus. It makes it very clear that that he is the only way. Now our realization happens when you and I understand that number one, before we can understand that Jesus is savior, we gotta understand that we need a savior. A lot of people in the world are walking around like, you know, I'm a good person. Like I don't need, I'm I'm not in trouble. Like saving from what? Like I'm not in trouble, I'm good. Like, I'm going to get there one day. God would, God would never look down on me. Like, God, God, I'm a good person. The good outweighs the bad. I'm going to earn my way there. See, Jesus promises in the Gospels that he is going to bring peace between God and man. That's the promise that, that Paul reiterates here. And I want you to think about how peace happens. Peace happens in two ways. You get peace when you eliminate your enemies or when you make your enemies your friends. And that's the invitation that God has for you today. He says, Jesus will escort peace onto the earth. And it's going to happen one of two ways. Either you can accept the gift, and you can move from an enemy of God to a friend of God through Jesus, or one day Jesus returns and all of the enemies are eliminated. And there will be two groups of people, those that are apart, separated from God, and those that are with God through Jesus. Either way, Jesus wins. Either way, peace comes to earth. It's your choice. Here's the gift that God gives. Peace comes through Jesus, the easy way or the hard way. And Paul makes it very clear. I know you're in a culture that's saying there are a lot of different ways to Jesus, a lot of different ways to peace. I'm telling you, if Jesus is God and Jesus is Savior, then there's only one way. And if you thought that wasn't divisive enough, let's divide the room again. Let's make the circle even smaller with verse 23. Here's how Paul closes the passage down. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, 
And do not move from the hope held out of the gospel. This is what's going to happen. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Underline it, highlight it, star it, draw a circle around it, smiley face beside it. Paul says, you want to know what my relationship between me and Jesus is like? Jesus is Lord and I am servant. Maybe everybody in this room believes that Jesus is God. Maybe we're eliminating some people when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But we're making the circle even smaller when you realize that the relationship between you and Jesus is servant and master. Because servants don't have any rights. Servants don't have opinions. Servants don't determine what they do with their time, with their money, with their energy, with their efforts. Servants don't get to determine who they serve and who they love and how they treat others. Here's one line that defines a servant. Whatever the master wants. What do you think about this issue? I don't know, master. What do you say? What do you think you ought to do with this area of your life and this area of your time and how you should love and who you should love and what does it look like? And I, I don't know, master. What is it? What should I say? What's my opinion? What should I do? That's what a servant does. They have forfeited all their freedoms and all of their rights. Now, here's the reality. Every person in here has a master. Every person in here has an authority in their life of what is right and wrong and what is good and bad and how you're going to spend your time and your resources and your talents and how you respond and how you treat people and how you talk to people. Everyone in here has a master who's yours. Because for Paul, he says, Jesus is Lord. He is master and I am simply the servant. For me, saying Jesus is God, yep, great, no-brainer, got that. Jesus is Savior, absolutely. That's fire insurance, man. I don't want to go to hell for sure. He's, he's Savior. Take, but Master? Well, you, you mean to tell me somebody gets to tell me what to do? Somebody can tell me what I can do with my life? Somebody can tell me what moves I need to make and, and, and how I need to redirect these different things in my life and the, the decisions and the words that I say? Man, nobody tells me what to do. Everybody has a master. For some of you, it's you. For some of you, it's culture or some other belief. And I believe for a very small group, Jesus is master. A small group, even in this church, Paul says, man, there won't be many of you, but Paul identifies as this. But, but listen, as a servant of Jesus, when it comes to what I do and what I say and how I act and how I respond and how I love and how I treat people and everything I do with my time, talent, and treasure, it's a simple question. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm your servant. You are Lord. You are master. It's humility on my part and authority on your part. God, whatever you say goes, who's your master? Who's the ultimate authority in your life? Who tells you what you can and can't do with various aspects of your life? Your life, your finances, your career, your decisions, your time, your family, your marriage. Every one of us in here is a servant to someone or something. And Paul makes a stand and says, when you believe that Jesus is a Lord, then we see ourselves as servants to the ultimate authority that's found in Christ. The circle got smaller and smaller and smaller. And here's why this matters. 
because I know the world and your family and your friends are telling you what you should and should not believe. And everybody in your life is telling you the answer to the question, who is Jesus? But one day you will stand in front of God and none of those people will be there. And God will not ask you, what did your mom think? He will not ask you, what did culture think? What did the American pop culture think? What, how were you raised? He's going to say, how do you answer the question, who is Jesus? And that will be the most important question that you ever answer in your life. So what's it going to be? Who is God? Who is Savior? And who is Lord? Who is Jesus? Do not leave here without answering that question. Don't leave here without understanding the gift that God has given you. How much rides on how you answer that question not only changes today, but it changes your eternity. Think about it. Think about it. Most important question you'll ever ask. God, help us to wrestle with that question. Help us to feel the weight. Help us to feel what is on the line with that question. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do. Give us the clarity to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. God, we will no longer be able to say we didn't know. We had never heard. No one ever told me that. Now it's just an option of whether we're going to open up the gift that you have given to us, the grace that is found in Jesus Christ or not. Peace will be had here on earth by your son Jesus. God, I pray that every single person in this room will wrestle with that question and choose to make peace through the gift that is found in Jesus that can reconcile us to God the Father. God, I ask that your spirit help us to know what to do, the next steps to take. Pray those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.